Hello, and welcome to Making COP26 Count, a podcast series based on the FIMBIS 2030 webinar hosted by David Nussbaum and supported by ICAS, One Young World, and Chartered Accountants Worldwide. This episode is part one of David's roundtable discussion with Claire, Sarah, Navis, and Wen Yu, where they take a deeper dive into the implications of COP26. Now, I want to turn to some of the questions we've been having coming in. Um, they, they cover a whole range of things, of course, but several of them come more from a macro perspective. We've, we've been looking a bit more at the sort of microeconomics. What about the macroeconomic picture um, and particularly the money involved in, in doing all this? So, you know, is work being done to quantify the costs if we fail to meet uh, the Paris targets? Um, uh, and uh, all the money that's going into the fossil fuel industry in subsidies, could that be uh, uh, used to accelerate uh, a just transition? And thinking about developing countries, for example, um, isn't this going to be a, a huge overload of borrowing uh, in countries which may already be facing quite pressured uh, macroeconomic uh, uh, environments uh, and so on? Um, so, uh, I'm just checking if there are, yeah. So thinking about this, this macro picture and, you know, as accountants ought to, to think about where, where's the money coming from and where's it going to, and how's it being managed? Um, who, who would like to sort of give us some perspective on that, that, those macro, uh, pictures or questions? I guess from my perspective, it's, it's not letting us hide behind that. Um, you know that there is definitely the ability to to meet these. We need to, we will see from the funding perspective, um, governments will be able to um, to fund it. Um, it will be significantly um, easier for uh, global north developed countries to be able to enact these changes in their own countries. But they need to also have that um, global citizenship approach of recognising um, role. Um, but certainly, uh, from fundamentally for me, it's a let's not um, hide behind the kind of query of how do we fund it. Um, it, it needs to happen and it can happen. Um, and on that point, Claire, like what we were all oh. saying before. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think what we've all kind of touched on too is whilst government has a role to play in this, the reality is that the private sector and then really each individual is going to have to, like there is a price to, to enable this to happen. And as you said, Claire, it's got to happen um, and we've all just get a, got, got to get on board with it. I sometimes wish someone would come out and be a bit more honest and transparent about this cost because it is going to impact us all and we all need to be aware of what that is. Um, so that was probably my comment on on these costing factors. And Mavis, you would know out of anyone better. Sorry, like as you've raised, like the developing countries have, have there's such a gap there, and we're asking them to to not dig up whatever what we've all done as developing countries. It, it, it's a really hard one in that sense, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and I think that was also one of the things that I know developing uh, countries were really pushing uh, during COP26 to sort of um, take away all of these fossil fuel subsidies because um, that money, uh, I, I don't know the exact amount, but there's trillions of dollars 
um, that has been um, that is in fossil fuel subsidies that we can actually take from there to um, invest in green or uh, cleaner solutions. Um, the other um, the other thing is that, and we have learned with uh, with COVID, that the money actually is there. What is not available is the political will, because we saw governments all over the world. I mean. We already got trillions of dollars in stimulus packages and, and a lot of green organizations were actually pushing for the recovery to be green. But there was just like little as little as 0.2% of the money that went into climate um, priorities. So the money we know it's there. I think what is not available when it comes to climate change and the climate conversation is the political will um, from government um, to actually invest the money in cleaner solutions. So um, I think, yeah, the money is there and we can find it, but we just need to get our, hold our government accountable through elections and elect um, people uh, who are passionate or at least who are interested in climate change into government uh, so that they can put in the legislation and they can actually do the, invest in cleaner solutions. Um, I think that is what would be, um, interest in or what we need to do in that sense. Yeah, we certainly saw uh, plenty of money becoming available to tackle the pandemic, you know, when, as you pointed out, uh, Mavis. Um, but Mavis, can I just follow up on that? I mean, if we think about countries like Ghana, where tackling poverty is such a crucial priority, um, how, how do we persuade people that that should be done uh, in conjunction with tackling climate change, uh, that's one of the questions yeah. that, that's sort of come up when, uh, you know, people may feel well, that's all very well for people with their nice lifestyles, as Sarah was pointing out in her presentation. But, you know, we, we, we can't be bothered with that. We, we yeah. just need to focus on poverty. How do yeah. you respond to that? Yeah, um, and that's actually a very good question and interesting one. And that's what I also normally always tell uh, my colleagues as well. They say, you know, uh, in Ghana, people are struggling to find a three square meal. You know, they they don't even have what to eat. So talking to them about climate change or the environment is just not their priority. It's not just as like the muscle law of needs. But I think there's also an opportunity or an entry point there. I think what needs to be done actually is to sell this as a development opportunity. And we do know that there is um, the core benefits of the climate change. So countries are not, or countries like Ghana or developing countries are not going to stop building infrastructure. They are not going to stop pursuing development, but how can they pursue this development sustainably? And how does this like climate change bring the opportunity? So when it comes to transition to renewables, the jobs that can be created, the co-benefits of the transition, like impact on health, reduction of air pollution, all of these are um, benefits that comes with the transition. And I think this is how um, we should be selling that to developing countries, uh, because at the end of the day, um, we also want to catch up with the world. We also want to um, reduce poverty in our countries, but that can be done whilst pursuing sustainable development. And I think this is where the conversation or the discussion uh, should be should be going. And this is how we can get the buy-in from government when it comes to climate change. Yeah, I would like to add to that. I completely agree with what Mavis is saying. I think on top of that, we need to fundamentally change our paradigm of how we think about development, particularly low-carbon development. I think all countries are going to have a very different path. 
as you said, it's probably not going to make sense in the case of some developing countries to expect that the way they get to low carbon development is by going the same route as what the wealthier countries have done. At the end of the day, there is immense opportunity for many of these countries to leapfrog the process and to develop their low carbon energy systems in fundamentally different ways. To give you an example, it might not always make sense in a lot of these countries to build out your main grid ad infinitum to reach 100% of a population. It could actually make more sense to have distributed solar, mini grids, and also, you know, for example, there's already been business models of pay-as-you-go solar on a village level. There are a lot of innovative thinkers and solutions out there. To come back to Mavis' point, can we make the financing available to enable these solutions? Some of these countries have some of the greatest, again, from the energy perspective, solar and wind resource potential. The solutions are there. They don't have to follow the same track as rich countries. The problem is whether or not we can create a system that incentivizes these solutions to come into play. I think right now we're not doing that.